Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 468 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and if you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'm the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. Welcome also to all of our regular listeners. I know that some of you have been listening since day one. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. I actually had a fairly writing-filled weekend. I hosted an Ask Me Anything Zoom session for members of our Freelance Writing Masterclass program, and we brainstormed their ideas for feature articles. Now, because sometimes you can have kind of like this vague subject area that you're interested in or this vague idea kernel that you know there's something there, but you need to flesh it out a lot more before it is a full-blown story. And, you know, I think it's good sometimes to have a sounding board and to chat with other people, especially somebody who has experience in the area, to be able to flesh out that idea kernel into a fully-fledged story. So it was great to see some of these idea seeds or idea kernels grow into something bigger as we chatted about it and as people could see how these small ideas could turn into a proper story with a proper robust and strong angle. I also had a writing field weekend in that I was thinking about a couple of uh, pieces of content writing that I've been commissioned to do. I didn't actually write them yet, but you know, thinking about your writing, as many of you know, as we often talk about in this podcast, is an essential part of it because it's where your ideas for the structure of your article or your novel or your short story start forming in your head. I was talking to the winner of a short story competition um, a while ago, and she's actually a a cleaner, like a janitor, you know, for um, organizations. You know, she goes into buildings and she cleans. And she was an incredible writer, like, oh, I just, you know, take your breath away kind of writer. And she said that, and one of the things that, she did during her cleaning was that it really gave her a lot of time to develop her characters, for her characters to interact with each other, for her stories to form, for her ideas to either make sense or not, depending on which, you know, path her characters would go down. And it was actually a really useful day job kind of thing, because by the time she got to her computer her ideas were just ready to burst out. Her story, her scenes had already been played out in her head because she'd thought about them for so long that they came out fully formed. So yeah, thinking about your writing is just as important to your writing as the actual writing. So don't feel guilty if you're staring off into space and thinking about your characters and seemingly daydreaming about your characters because you're not actually daydreaming. You're helping them come to life. You don't have to be typing 100% of the time or, you know, writing longhand 100% of the time. You don't have to feel guilty about letting your ideas brew. One link that I wanted to share with you guys is an article that I read in the Sydney Morning Herald, which is just adorable. It's about an eight-year-old called Dylan Helbig, a second grader who lives in Idaho, and he wrote 
a novel, his own novel. Uh, it was a Christmas adventure and he wrote it in a notebook and illustrated with colored pencils. And he was so proud of it, he decided he wanted to share it with other people. So he went to his library, his community library, and put it on the shelf. <laughs> it was 81 pages and uh, he slipped it onto the shelf. He eventually confessed to his mother what he did. And when they returned to the library a couple of days later, it was missing. So his mother contacted the branch manager and let him know, you know, please don't throw it away if you find it. But it turns out that the branch manager had read it to his own six-year-old and that his six-year-old loved it and thought it was one of the funniest books he'd ever read. So the librarians got together and decided they'd do something a little bit unconventional and add it to the actual collection of the library with a proper barcode and, you know, people were able to borrow it, which is really sweet because they thought it was a really good story. Um, Dylan and his parents agreed (laughs) and um, he actually even ended up on television, on the local uh, television in Boise. And now there's a huge wait list for Dylan's book. So that's kind of sweet. Dylan is so inspired that uh, he is now writing his second book, which is pretty cool, which is uh, about a closet that eats up jackets. Anyway, we'll put the link in the show notes. It's in the Sydney Morning Herald. It's called An Eight-Year-Old Slid His Handwritten Book Onto a Library Shelf. It now has a year-long wait list. All right, now something from the Australian Writer Centre blog this week. Each year we publish a list of short story competitions that you can enter throughout the year. And the list for 2022 is out now with more than 25 competitions for you to submit your short stories to. Probably one of the best short story competitions is our very own Furious Fiction, which now runs four times a year. It's completely free to enter and there is a $500 prize for the winner. Not bad. But there are loads and loads of other competitions for all sorts of stories, including fiction, nonfiction, science writing, crime, literary, and even a few poetry ones as well. Some competitions are specifically for Australian writers or younger writers, so do make sure you check the criteria before entering. Now, I think entering competitions is something all writers should do because having a deadline to aim for is great inspiration to get your story into shape. Often there'll be a word count or a theme and working within those constraints can actually really force you to write a better story. Plus, there's the bonus of making the long list, the short list, or even winning. Having your name appear on the long list of a short story competition will boost your confidence. It will also expose you to other writers that you can connect with. You know, maybe you can connect with them on social media, or even it can draw attention to you from people in the publishing industry, depending on the caliber of the competition, of course. So do make sure to check it out on our website now. Uh, We'll put the link in the show notes. And of course, the great thing is we update this list regularly. So when new competitions come up, we add, add, add it to that list. So bookmark the list or bookmark the link and refer back to it whenever you have a short story you're thinking of submitting. You can find the post short story competitions to enter in 2022 on the Writer Centre blog at writercentre.com.au slash blog. 
or go to the website and you know search for the term short stories. And if you don't quite have a short story ready, or if you've always wanted to try writing one, then our course Short Story Essentials is for you. This is one of our self-paced courses and I absolutely love it. It, because it's self-paced, you can take your time learning the art and craft of short fiction and apply the skills you've learned to your own story. At the end of the course, you can submit your two and a half thousand word story for feedback. Now, this one of the great things about this course, it, it literally leads you step by step. You don't even have to have an idea yet. By the end of the course, if you follow the instructions, you will have a short story. So you can find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash shortstoryessentials. That's writerscenter.com.au slash shortstoryessentials. Let's move on to our competition this week. I'm so excited. I just read this book and it's fantastic. We have three copies of The Keepers by Al Campbell. Here's a bit about the book. Jay is devoted to the care of her teenage twins who view the world as differently as it views them. Frank is sweet, sensitive and bullied, while whip-smart Teddy needs an iPad to speak. With an absent husband and battling a nightmare bureaucracy, Jay leans heavily on Keep, her lifelong half-real friend. But in the corner of her eye lurks her mother and a childhood Jay knows she can't ever outrun. Jay believes she is managing quite well until Teddy starts to get sick, refusing to eat while doctors refuse to listen, confounding everything Jay thought she knew about what lies ahead. This is making so many big waves at the moment. Uh, Annabelle Crabb said, The Keepers is an extraordinary piece of writing, a constellation of love and pain opening up to the reader in a magical and terrifying way. It's utterly remarkable. Now, I agree with Annabelle Crabb. It is fantastic. And I'm even more excited because Al Campbell is alumna of the Australian Writers' Centre. She has completed a number of our courses, including Creative Writing Stage 1 and Write Your Novel, which is what helped her write this brilliant debut novel. And she got her book deal five months, just five months after she finished the course. So I'm so excited at the result. So we have three copies of The Keepers to give away and you could win one of them. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 14th of February. Writercenter.com.au slash win for your chance to win one of three copies of The Keepers by Al Campbell. All right, everyone. Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope so. Okay. This week's word of the week is discobolus. Discobolus. Sounds like it might have something to do with disco. Well, a discobolus is the name of a person who throws a discus, as in, you know, the track and field sport. And you may have seen a famous ancient statue of a young man poised to throw a discus. And that is the discobolus of Myron. And of course, I had to look up to see if there were interesting names for people who throw a javelin or a shot put. But they're just called a javelin thrower and a shot putter. <laughs> 
But if you know of any other interesting names for sports people, specific types of sports people, do let me know on the Facebook page. And of course, if you haven't already joined our fantastic listener community on Facebook, make sure you do. Just request to join. It's free. Search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and uh, I'd love to see you in there. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. We have Australian crime and thriller author Ruth McIver, who was interviewed by my former co-host and partner in crime, who I miss very much, Alison Tate. Ruth's latest novel is I Shot the Devil, published by Hachette, and it was also the winner of the Rochelle Prize for Emerging Writers. She's no stranger to awards as her first unpublished novel, Nothing Gold, was runner-up in the inaugural Banjo Awards. And she has also written a novel in verse, The Sunset Club, which was adapted into a stage play. And she has a PhD in the field of true crime-inspired fiction. So here is Alison Tate speaking with author Ruth McIver. Ruth McIver is a Dublin-born, Melbourne-based crime writer whose first full-length fiction manuscript was runner-up in the inaugural Banjo Awards. Her second novel, I Shot the Devil, won the 2018 Rochelle Prize for Emerging Writers and was published in 2021. Welcome to the program, Ruth. Thank you, Alison. I'm happy to be here. All right. Let's go back to the beginning. So your bio tells me that you actually indie published a verse novel called The Sunset Club in 2014, which was highly commended in the and elder category of the Fellowship of Australian Writers. Was that the first sort of long form fiction you wrote? Uh, No, it wasn't actually. Um, So I had written a, a manuscript, a fiction manuscript, which was sort of like uh, literary fiction, I suppose, um, called The Birthday Party. And I'd written another little, like, sort of novella that was called The Bells. Um, and I ended up sort of turning The Birthday Party into nothing gold. But um, I have written another verse novel, but that's just sort of gathering dust at the moment. So. Okay. And why did you choose to sort of indie publish The Sunset Club? Like, why did you go down that road instead of, you know, seeking a mainstream publication for it? Well, so it's a good um, question because I guess at that time I'd been submitting Nothing Gold to lots of, like, competitions, like unpublished manuscript competitions, and um, I'd been asking, you know, around and, and just getting lots of rejections and things like that. And so... I think when you're writing full-length fiction, it's sort of like that marathon um, and you're you're not really getting any kind of little wins on the way or you're not getting any applause. And so I just had this sense that I needed to publish something. (laughs) 
and and, to, and and I really wanted to show something and have a product. And also with poetry, I sort of felt like, um, you know, I didn't have a massive kind of uh, following as a poet or, um, you know, I hadn't been publishing a lot. I'd just been doing lots of audio poems and things like that. Um, and this also allowed me to have creative control over the whole project. So my ex-partner, who's a really incredible visual artist and um, a Solman um, Prize finalist, um, he did the cover. I got someone to um, design the layout. I got a really great price for the um, for the books to be bound in perfect binding. And then I also got to perform the um, the Sunset Club as an actual kind of like like a, a, a live um, art performance. Mm. So it get, just gave me this. Yeah, it was wonderful, and and I'm so happy to have had um, Anya Anya Warwitz was at um, the launch um, of the the first launch of the Sunset Club, and that was really really special um, to me because she was one of my you know a huge inspiration for me and a mentor. Um, and she was really supportive of the Sunset Club too. So it was part of wanting something tangible, not having any kind of gatekeepers in the way of saying, no, you can't publish this or you can't publish that, and also just having all the creative control, like, from from everything, you know. All right. So while you're doing that, though, you, your first novel, the, the first sort of full-length fiction manuscript that you had there was Nothing Gold. You were still sort yes. of shopping that to mainstream uh, publishers at I the was. same time. I was, and, and and so when the Sunset Club sort of at the time that I you know did my first print run and I, I did the first performance, I had just been accepted to go over to bloody Scotland to perform in perfect um, perfect pitch, and I say perform because you you know you perform your pitch in front of the festival audience. So, you know Louise Welsh and Denise um, Minor or Mina, I never mm. know how to pronounce that. Um, mm. All these amazing just heroes of mine, sheroes, I should say. Um, uh, we're at the festival and so I got invited to do that and I took it really seriously because, you know, I'd been working on this novel so intensively. I'd been doing so much research, interviewing people and just rewriting and, um, you know, I'd had some interest and then that wouldn't transpire and so going over to um, Bloody Scotland was so exciting to me and, you know, got rejected when when I was there and um, one of the reasons, and I, I was talking about this, recently at um bad festival um it's kind of funny um the uk publishers were like who cares about perth you know and who cares about australia like <laughs> you're about it's just you know some random place in australia and you know it's just before jane harper's yeah so just before australian crime became a thing i know it was all scandy noir at that time so yeah. and you know for me i was kind of quite shocked because i love uh, Crime fiction to me is like a passport in into other countries. You know, I love reading Icelandic crime, Glaswegian crime, you know, Tartan Noir and American crime. It's, it's like, it is, it's vicarious travel. So I found it so strange that they would say that. But, yeah, it was, it was a bit disheartening. But because I was doing that and shopping it around, it was like I got to have the success with um, the Sunset Club that I wouldn't have had, you know, if I just kept kind of, going forward with one project. And I think there's a, there was a quote that I'd read at the time that sort of said, you know, how to be miserable as an artist, just work on one project, yeah. put all your eggs in one basket and then just get really deflated when, you know, when and if that, that doesn't transpire. So this was just a way to boost my self-esteem, 
to connect with the community and to really like to actually produce something and show people, um, you know, they had a story to tell. But you you didn't consider um, indie publishing nothing gold? Like that wasn't, like for you it was no, that, that, that no, had to be traditionally like, published? Yeah, it's weird. I felt like with poetry, you know, especially given the content because it was, it, it's, it's quite an um, expletive <laughs> <laughs> riddled um, <laughs> manuscript. Um, I think I really wanted a traditional publisher and I didn't necessarily want like, you know, a mainstream publisher, but I wanted to go through a publisher to do all the distribution and stuff, especially after I went through the Sunset Club. I was like, there was so much work. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm not criticizing that because I know that that's a very valid path. But for me, that's what I wanted to do. And so I kind of, uh, I put that on ice though, um, because that's when I started um, doing my PhD. And, and then so what I year wrote, was that? Um, what year was that? So I, I did that in 2015. Okay. Um, it was actually on the back of coming back from bloody Scotland. I went um, via... I went back to Perth for a bit and that's when I discovered David Schultz's books and I was doing something really similar um, with Nothing Gold. And I thought, I've got to, I've got to meet this person and, um, you know, get his mentorship. And, um, you know, like this is kind of exactly the field that I want to work in. And so that's, that's how I kind of ended up in Perth working with him. But my project was too um, developed at that stage. So that's when I started writing I Shot the Devil, but at the same time rewriting Nothing Gold. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. So I'm just going to take you back a little minute. We'll put the PhD on ice for a minute. We'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. But what year did you first start writing Nothing Gold? Oh, God. So that would have been 2010, maybe 2009. Okay. So you um, had been working on that yeah. manuscript for quite a long time. I had. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, in 2018, it was the runner-up in the inaugural Banjo Prize. And yes. what I'm interested in knowing, I guess, at, 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 you know, at this sort of you know, juncture in your in your career is why, yeah. why you think that novel didn't get over the line to publication because often – even if you don't win a competition, they take mm. a very long, hard look at the shortlist, you know, and you will often yes, see absolutely. that those novels are also published. So what do you think it was about Nothing Gold? What, why was it different to I Shot the Devil? Look, I think it was just um, probably not as strong in that it was the book that I learned how to write a novel. Like yeah. it was, it, it was, you know, that's how I learned to write a novel by writing nothing goes. So, yeah. um, you know, it had, I think it has, it had and has a lot of promise. Um, yeah. it, you know, it needs work and finessing. Whereas with I shot the devil, um, the voice was a lot more, um, you know, it flowed a lot more. It was really easy to write comparatively. Mm-hmm. I feel like also with Nothing Gold, there were just so many cooks in the kitchen. So I'd, I'd had, um, you know, quite a few editorial, like I'd paid for a manuscript assessment and then I'd had an editor, then I'd had an agent give feedback. Then, So it had been rewritten so many times. In a way, it was a little bit like Frankenstein's Monster. Yeah. Like it had all – and I think – you know, when I'm reading, sometimes I do a little bit of manuscript assessment um, these days or you know, and do a bit of structural editing. I can really tell when someone's super tense and worried yeah. <laughs> about what they're writing. Yeah. And I think for me, because 
I it was a procedural crime novel. It started out as a literary kind of fiction novel with dark undertones, and it turned into a procedural crime. So I was quite tense and stressed about that, and I think that does come across a little bit. Um, yeah. That said, I had been so when I was entering that into the unpublished um, competitions and, um, you know, uh, unpublished manuscript competitions, I'd also been sending it around to publishers with, you know, my my first chapters and my letter and, and that sort of thing. So I had a few people interested in it also after the shortlistings came out. And then um, so it, it could well have come out, you know, and maybe been, you know, taken. It was just I shot the devil, won the Rochelle, yeah. and so that came out first. Right, and, okay. Yeah. All right, so it's it's potentially so, one of those ones that you could pull out of a drawer at some point and it could become your fourth novel or something like that. I believe that's probably what will happen. You know, the other thing for me that I think about with this manuscript is that it has a lot of, um, I feel like it has film potential or it could be really good as a screenplay. And so it's sort of like in, in a way like I, I just feel quite flexible with whatever happens to it. I know the story will be told and it will come out, yep. but it just depends when and in what format. Okay, so let's talk about I Shot the Devil, which is your actual published novel out now. Why, <laughs> why did you decide to enter the Rochelle Prize? Yeah, well, look, I entered it before. Um, I believe that, you know, uh, it's it's really important as an emerging writer to enter those competitions mm. because it's really hard to get an agent and it's hard to get a look in, you know, the market is is just swamped, you know. And uh, it, it for me, I, I knew people that had, um, you know, just a short listing or a long listing and that's how they ended up getting... Uh, their book published. So that was really my, um, you know, my feeling. And I had entered it before. I'd entered it with uh, Nothing Gold. Um, so uh, I just, you know, this time it was funny because I remember the, the the night that I, I'd left myself two days and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just bang this out. And then it was like actually quite a lot more involved. It was like, um, you know, chapter outline and synopsis. And I was like, I have most of my kind of packet, but I don't have that. So it's like having an all-nighter, like drinking lots of coffee. And I was like, oh, it's a weekend. As usual, I'm just doing this. And I was really resentful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, but I had this feeling about it this year. So, you know, I'm glad that I didn't just go like, oh, I give up, I'll go to the pub. Um, and, um, and I did enter, so... So tell us about the book. Like, give us the overview. We've just been discussing around it. Let's, you know, let's let yes. the listeners know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, um, I Shot the Devil is a true crime um, fiction novel or a true crime inspired fiction novel. And when I say that, I mean I, 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 I very loosely based it around some, some crime events that happened in 1984 and I relocated them to 1994, which was when I was a teenager. Um, I grew up partly in America. And uh, I grew up in uh, Long Island, and this is where this climate occurred. So I, I set the novel in a fictionalised version of the town that I'd, I'd grown up in. And it's, it's basically about a journalist that goes back to her hometown to uh, uncover and write about a series of satanic murders that had happened, or allegedly satanic murders that had occurred 16 years um, prior. And uh, she's, you know, she's a very flawed um, and she is a very damaged character um, due to numerous events that happened in her, her childhood and adolescence. 
she's very scarred by um, this crime and hasn't ever been able to face it. But in a way, you know, she's going back to 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 solve these crimes or to do her best at solving these crimes and write about them. But also, it, it's a cathartic kind of journey for her um, and a way to sort of come to terms with her own past. Um, you know, and there is uh, a lot of crimes that that um, that are unfolded that 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 come to light and uh, a lot of these crimes are really not um you know satanic and they're not about teenagers and and youth panic um they're about adults who live in and on the island in in positions of authority and um and so uh basically Erin goes on this journey of um discovery through the island and Florida um to try and bring justice to um to uh, her long lost love, actually. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's quite a um, you know it's a it's a dark story, um, and it's it's about redemption. And I also really kind of like I refer to it these days as Me Too crime fiction because it it really talks a lot about um, childhood trauma and um, institutional abuse and and whatnot. So yeah, so it's it's. It, it is a dark a dark novel. So when you say, you know, it's sort of inspired by by true events, right, true crime, mm. how much do you, did the true sort of events or the true crime sort of dictate the narrative in a way? Did you, did you just use it as a jumping off point and then go off into an entirely fabricated story or did you, you know, use yeah. it as touch points? Yeah, that's exactly the the, the former. I I um I that's why I don't call it kind of true crime fictions. Obviously, what my PhD is on is I I like to explore what a crime signifies, especially like sensational crimes like like these. Um, and the satanic panic was something was that always really interested me. Um, and youth panic and that sort of thing. Um, so these crimes were alleged, alleged satanic crimes. So I just used that as the premise and then I, I, I wrote an entirely different story. So right. they became the people, the players became complete, they're, they're fictional creations entirely. So no, as you said, it's a very dark story. Um, did you find it difficult to write? Was there, you know, like is going into those very dark places can't be easy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I I found it really traumatic in parts and there was a point where I actually felt like I was getting, you know, um, clinically depressed. Um, but at the same time, it was extremely cathartic for me too. It was like, there was kind of like a sense of bibliotherapy because crime has this restorative function. You can punish people and you can have closure and you can, um, you know, you end up sort of putting things right mm. in a way mm. on a fictional level. And so for me, that's kind of how I worked out some of my own past trauma and my own demons, um, which, you know, I, I, I channeled um, throughout the manuscript. So, yeah, it was. It was really difficult. Um, you know, so someone who really loves true crime and, you know, immerses themselves in, in some pretty ghoulish materials um, I, I really struggle. I'm very sensitive with content. And one of the things that really troubles me the most is, uh, you know, anything that happens to children, um, mm. that, or children and animals, actually. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, there's a lot of things. This is a really dark book, but it's suggestive more than anything. It's not a hyper-violent book. Mm. And I, 
uh, I also tried to kind of, um, and I do tend to do this, to fade out at moments where there is mm. violence because I think that's more powerful. Mm. I prefer to create kind of like dread and fear mm. and suggest rather than be really explicit. Um, so, you know, that was, I hoped not to traumatise the reader. <laughs> that was kind of my... <laughs> You, you Just know, gently traumatise them as opposed to, I you know. A, a gentle trauma. But <laughs> <laughs> I, oh I think God. that a lot of people are frightened when they see the title and they hear about the satanic, um, you know, the theme that there's a, a satanic kind of element to it. And it, it's just obviously that's a smoke screen, you know, mm. um, in, in the book. There's not a lot of, um, uh, you know, horrific content, um, and and that's done purposely. <laughs> so, so yeah. Whereas it, with my first book, um, my first unpublished manuscript, Nothing God, my my best friend read it, and she she uh, <laughs> she said, "Oh, I had a panic attack after reading your book." Great. That's just what and you want. I was want, like, I don't it? know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> <laughs> so was your writing process for this one the same as your previous works? Like are you, do you I know you said you sort of got the idea and jumped off, but do you plan it all out in advance? Like do you know exactly what's going to happen before you start or are you working it out as you go? Well, definitely the latter. Um I think with this book um I obviously my process was a bit different because I had um, milestones I had to reach because I was writing it for my PhD. So, mm. and my my um, mentor and supervisor, um, and both of my supervisors who were, you know, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, I had sort of commitments to them to keep on track. And and these days, when you do a PhD, there's no kind of stuffing around. Like you have to make your milestones, and you have to, um, you, you know, complete within a certain time frame. Um, mm. So. That was that made things a lot easier. But the other thing was, I mean, you know, having a stipend is not with a on a scholarship isn't much money, but it was more money than and more regular income than I'd had prior to because I was always working and working, you know, so I'd always work three days, then you know, have Thursday, Friday writing days, and then Sunday, Sunday. So that's how I would write nothing gold because I really prefer to write in in blocks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know most people do, but, you know, obviously I was always on a casual kind of employment and, you know, I just ended up earning less by taking that, you know, making, dividing my time like that. But this was just like, I was like, I'm not going to get an opportunity like this again. You don't get, like, if you do a writing residency, you know, how, however long it is, it's never for three to four years. Mm. So I was basically like, I am going to rewrite Nothing Gold. I'm going to write I Shot the Devil and I'm going to submit a whole bunch of other stuff. And it was just like, you know, write a boot camp basically, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the whole time. So, yeah. What, so, what made you, so what made you decide that you needed to do a PhD in, in the field of true crime inspired fiction? Like what made you go, this is what I need to do? Well, there was a couple of factors, and one was, like I said, I discovered Dave Wish Wilson's work, and I thought, you know, he was at Curtin, and I thought, this is my my chance to, you know, really get the mentorship um, and uh, the tutelage that I that I wanted, mm. and so I really wanted to work with him, and I was like, this will be a great way. I can also, um, I'm also fascinated in that in that area and that subject, and I was like, look, I'm doing this thing, he's doing this thing. 
who else is doing this thing? What is this thing? (laughs) So, you know, it was partly that was, it was, you know, having the structure, having the time. And I knew that a lot of people who were doing PhDs were getting um, books published as a result of it too. Mm. I also knew that if I wanted to teach, so I'd been at RMIT, I did um, professional writing and editing. These days you can't, teach at, um, you know, TAFE or anywhere without a PhD. So that was also part of, you know, part of it. Um, but I've been working, I used to work for Monash and I, I um, uh, to, for some reason, ended up in the medical research beat. So I'd be translating these really complex, you know, epigenetics and stuff like that and, and making it into this kind of snappy, relatable kind of content. Um, and I was, constantly reading, you know, re- reading and writing about other people's research. And I was like, I want to do my own research. So that had been really kind of, that hunger had been growing for a while. I really wanted the intellectual stimulation also. So, yes, it was multifaceted, really. Okay. So, um, you you know, you've gone through the process of, of actually being published on a mainstream level now. Was there anything about yeah. that process that you found surprising? Like, was there anything about it that... Um, that you, like in the sense that I guess, you know, you won the prize in 2018, the book comes out in 2021, um, which is a fairly <laughs> long yeah. time. Was there anything about that process that made you, like, that that surprised you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think obviously, like, so the book was supposed to come out in 2020. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I was having a fairly normal publication journey up until March 2020, yeah, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I did a little mini tour. So nothing was kind of, un, you know, surprising up to that point. I think I was a little surprised that it would take so long because the manuscript was complete. But I was kind of naive in terms of, like, just how many rewrites and how many, you know, structural edits that there would need to be and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, like, obviously nothing was normal after that. So yeah. so I think everything was surprising, yeah. <laughs> really, um, you know, because, yeah, like I, going to Sydney um, just, just for that, um, I, I did my first book in-store sort of signing. So... I have to say I've had no kind of normal debut yeah. experience because yeah. of that. And I, I mean, and I'm not complaining because like I know another author who was shortlisted for the Rochelle Mandy Beaumont, her book came out in 2020 and then her second book, you know, is, is due. And it's like, there are authors that have had two books that have come out 2020 and 2021. And I'm like, no, you know, imagine that. Like That's me. You know, That's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I had two books out, one in twenty twenty, one in twenty one. Oh. So, what sorts of things have you been able to do to promote it? Like, what, what sort? Like, you obviously yeah. have to look, sort of think outside the box a bit. So, what, what have you done? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, look, this, this, you know, you, you can write in things like Zoom fatigue, you know, because yeah. people are. There are points where people are just like, you know, what, I'm sick of this, and I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to another virtual event. Um, so. You know, obviously, I have been doing um, those quite a few of those kind of events, but there's been things like read-alongs online, which has been um, really good. Um, those happened on Instagram. Um, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, blog tours. Um, I did have a little. Uh, 
it was just a tiny little event. Um, a friend of mine out um, in the goldfields um, launched his book, um, and so I, I went along to that and, you know, had a little tiny um, taste of what it would be like to have a real-life launch. Um, obviously, I've been doing lots of interviews and podcasts um, and, you know, just speaking to libraries and, uh, you know, trying to create opportunities there and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, just wherever I can. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, 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 the bookseller content is what I've really missed the most is going yeah. into bookstores. Yeah. Um, yeah, and doing signings and things like that. And, so will you um, and at, also libraries. Will mm. you look at ways to continue to do that sort of promotion this year or are you going to yes. concentrate on the yes. next book? Yes, I, I think no. I think that, well, my main, um, you know, one thing that I was quite disappointed about was obviously Mark McGowan um, closed the border and I really, really, really wanted to launch my book in Perth. Um, just because, you know, I'm originally um, from Perth, I, uh, you know, have so many friends there. In fact, almost everyone's just run home to Perth in between. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I haven't had that either. So, and I really, really wanted to do um, a physical launch there and a little book tour because those were the bookstores too that I grew up with, you know, that, yeah. going and visiting those books, um, bookstores and um, you know, so that 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 will hopefully take place once the border reopens. Yep. Um, I got to do a little tour in Sydney, which was awesome. Like I got got to go in and you know get my photo taken and you know sign some some copies. Um, and I'm hoping to do it in Melbourne. So I will I will try that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just um, also there's a bit of a backlog too with other authors. You know, so it's, I know it's like yeah, there's a there's a bit of a, a, a queue now, isn't there? There is a queue, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what are you working on at the moment? Like, what happens next for Ruth McIver? Well, I mean, I've written a book um, that's set. It's a it's a standalone, and it's set in Bali and Perth and New Orleans, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's a pretty dark book. Mm, what a surprise. In case this, the first one wasn't dark enough. Well, this one's darker, is so it, right? It's darker. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, then there's another, this one's in Balago, so I won't talk about the content, but it's, it's a novella. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I'm, I'm hopefully uh, working on another American kind of style book. Uh, However, nothing gold, who knows, could who show us. <laughs> we'll all be able to go, we heard about that years ago. We know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. So there's a, there's quite a few in the queue, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, Which is a nice position uh, and I'm to be in. With, yeah, look, you know, I, I, tried to, um, I tried to write throughout lockdown and, um, and stay steady. I know how hard it's been for, like, uh, authors. It's just... You know, I've got to say, like, while I did work, it was pretty joyless, and I think it's 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 uh it's kind of been what I've discovered. It that I've met, met no one that said, yeah, I had a great writing time in twenty twenty one. Um, twenty twenty was crazy, but not as bad as twenty twenty one for me because it was at least novel, and I was like, okay, this is short, and it's going to end, and like. Yeah. 
Yeah, that 2021, just a bit of a toughie. Really. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we like to call it a creative yeah. cul-de-sac around these places, around these, these Ooh, parts. Yes. Because that's pretty much Absolutely. what it was. Absolutely. Creative cul-de-sac is, is so right. Yeah, it's been very kind of like merciless writing for me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing it, but I'm not enjoying it. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, it's been absolutely lovely chatting to you today about all your yeah, various likewise. various things. Um, we're going to finish up with the final um, question that we ask all of our authors in the hot seat. Um, what are your top three tips for writers? Hmm. Well, I will say uh, uh, number one is to not focus on one work. Um, mm. That's <laughs> a great, no, it's, it's a really um, good tip. It's a really good tip. Yeah, just because you know um, you have a couple of irons on the fire, and um, you know it's 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 a really good way to be miserable as an artist <laughs> um, to focus on one thing. And 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 on that note, just to piggyback off that, having other interests and things going on at the same time takes a lot of pressure off too. So like when I was like I was working on a podcast, I was doing music, um, and that made me feel a lot more fulfilled also. Um, the other one would be to avoid comparison um, mm. and um, to stop worrying about other people's careers. Because have you got any tips on truly, how to do that, though? Because every, you know, it's easy to say that, isn't it? So how do you? It is so hard. It is so 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 hard. I think the thing is, it's just about pouring into your own cup. Like yeah. w- w- one of the things that I try to focus on is that, like, I'll feel jealousy, and jealousy is okay. Like, I think jealousy is actually a really healthy emotion because it's saying to you, "I'd like that, thank you." But also, what I like to do is then go, "Let's celebrate that person and their accomplishment," because there aren't finite numbers of opportunities. It's it's especially with women. I find um, it's really important for me to encourage and support other women writers. Yeah. And the more I focus on that, the better I feel. So I just send support and don't expect it back. Yeah. But also don't look at their trajectory because you have no idea what happened in the last 10 years for them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, no, it's so true. So someone can just see someone coming up and be like, hey, you don't know, that person could have been rejected a hundred times. Mm. Everyone gets their time. It just depends on when yours is, you know. So that's kind of it's, – it's hard, especially when you've got to maintain a social media presence and you are, like, looking at other people getting opportunities it's, I just try to focus back on myself and then focus, like, say, I'll just start writing my work and reading something that I've done that I feel good about, proud, you know, proud of. Um, so that that's kind of the other the other big tip that I would have is to try and stop comparing yourself to others. And the other one is to find your own beat, your own style, your own thing, because um, whatever you have that's unique is is yours. And, and a lot of people, I think, go, you know, you know, I'll write that. And it's like, it, it comes across as disingenuous if you don't really love what you're doing and it's not your thing. So it's like, find your unique kind of thing and, and, um, and then you'll find your market. Like with I Shot the Devil, I thought, no, no one's going to take it. It's way too noir. It's American. It's this or that. The judges won't like it. And and it's just like, it's not really any of my business. I'm just going to make it the best I can, put it out there, see what happens, see what sticks. And here so. we are. And it's stuck. And yeah. it's out now. You can get your copy of exactly. I Shot the Devil. You can find Ruth online at, where's your website? Uh, Ruth McIver. Hold on. <laughs> I'm never on that. 
Um, but it does have some. <laughs> it does have some um, some good samples of my work. It's just www.ruthmackaybarwriter.com. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Ruth, and best of luck for you know a big year in 2022. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Ruth McIver and of course, big thanks to Al for doing the interview. We've now come to the end of this week's episode. So thank you so much for joining me and I hope you've enjoyed it. I'd love for you to connect with me on social media if you would like to connect. I'm on Instagram at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, and on Twitter, although I'm not that active on Twitter as I am on Instagram. Uh, And of course, you can connect with me on Facebook as well. I'd love to chat with you. But for me, I'm signing off for this week. I hope you have a great week writing, getting your ideas flowing, boosting your creativity and having a lot of fun in the process. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.